big money fleeing China under economic woes, and a record low tourism rate suggests a concerning trend. People don't want to visit China. More concerns over a secret Chinese biolab containing around 20 infectious agents, including COVID-19 and HIV, illegal and hidden in California. So we have to assume that this was a biological weapons facility in the United States. Something of great concern. The White House responds to Beijing's call for a nationwide counter-espionage campaign. And near 40-foot floodwaters submerge a Chinese city. Residents trapped in flood for days, facing food and water shortages. But reported actions suggest Beijing's concerns are somewhere else. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Investors are fleeing China. That seems to be the trend as Beijing struggles under economic woes. Foreign direct investment in China now one-fifth of what it was last year. China saw a mere $20 billion in direct investment in the first quarter, compared to $100 billion last year. That's according to research firm Rhodium Group after analyzing official figures. To make matters worse, China is seeing record low tourism. The Wall Street Journal stating China's latest problem, people don't want to go there. In a slow post-pandemic recovery, the country clocked just 52,000 visitors in the first quarter of this year. That's compared to the 3.7 million in the same period in 2019. Most hailing from Taiwan, Hong Kong and Macau, rather than destinations like Europe or the U.S. On top of that, Morgan Stanley now downgrading Chinese stocks as investors remain uneasy. Analysts citing China's structural challenges and rising unemployment, noting there are no clear solutions to either. On top of that, China's real estate sector remains in jeopardy, made infamous by Evergrande, and looming over it all, geopolitical tensions with the U.S. Because of it, Morgan Stanley downgraded China from number three to 13 out of 28 on its developing nations roster. A buy one, get one deal, but this one isn't in a grocery store. A Chinese real estate ad promising a free second floor add-on during home building if buyers decide to snap up a single floor home. But the unheard of bargain, still not enough to entice in China's crumbling real estate market or combat low suburban salaries. The property industry has supported around 30 percent of the nation's GDP in the last decade and became the driving force behind growth under leader Xi Jinping. But the once powerful demand for housing now burdens the Chinese economy. Highlighted by developers like Evergrande, now the world's most indebted real estate firm, after a near collapse under Beijing's strict pandemic lockdown policy. But the most visible symptom, half-built, unsold or abandoned housing projects across the nation. Property sales by square area plunged almost 27 percent in 2022, dropping even further this year. Experts say it could take more than a decade to use up the excess housing, and the stakes are high, as a complete breakdown for Chinese real estate could easily spell disaster for the country's economy. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. A secret lab with around 20 potentially infectious agents inside, including COVID-19 and HIV. More concerns are rising over the illegal Chinese biolab discovered in a California warehouse. China expert Gordon Chang says there are undoubtedly more of the labs on U.S. soil. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more about Chang's take on the discovery. 
Fresno County authorities first discovered the unlicensed laboratory in Reedley, California in March. Officials closed the site at the end of May. The lab was operated by Chinese medical company Prestige Biotech. It contained at least 20 potentially infectious agents, including the CCP virus, HIV, hepatitis, herpes, E. coli, and malaria. Roughly 1,000 white lab mice were also found. China expert Gordon Chang told NTD's Stefania Cox it would be safe to assume more labs like it exist in the U.S. This has been called mysterious, but we know enough, and we have to be extremely concerned. You know, this lab was supposed to be making COVID-19 and pregnancy tests, but they found a lot of things in the lab that are inconsistent with that explanation, including at least 20 agents for various diseases. And also there were about a thousand white lab mice there that were genetically engineered to carry pathogens. So we have to assume that this was a biological weapons facility in the United States, probably was gonna spread disease in the months before uh, the Chinese plan to launch a war in Asia. And there are undoubtedly other facilities like this in the U.S. That's our assumptions that we need to work under. The lab was found roughly 40 miles from Naval Air Station Lemur. I think that the purpose of the lab was maybe not so much infecting personnel at a military installation, but just a general biological weapons attack on the American people. Chang says it's an act of war and those involved should be sent to Guantanamo indefinitely until the matter is sorted out. I think this is part of uh, China's plan to weaken the United States. With, with regard to COVID-19, I think it was genetically engineered, maybe 98, 99% probability of that. But Steph, there's something that's 100% certain, and that is that once this disease got out into the Chinese population, Xi Jinping decided to spread it beyond China's borders. You know, at critical times in December 2019 and January 2020, they lied about transmissibility. They told the world it was not contagious when they knew that it was. And while they were locking down their own country, they were pressuring others, especially the U.S., to take arrivals from China without restrictions. You put those two things together, and the only conclusion is they wanted to spread this disease. Now we find this facility in Reedley. They want to spread another disease. A federal criminal investigation into the lab is ongoing. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The White House has something to say about Beijing's call for a nationwide counter-espionage campaign. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller said China is encouraging citizens to spy on each other, calling it something of great concern. We are closely monitoring the implementation of China's new counter-espionage law, as we have been, which, as written, greatly expands the scope of what activities are considered uh, espionage. In addition to being concerned about these new reports, we remain concerned about the risk of arbitrary arrest and detention. China's spy agency on Tuesday urged citizens to participate in counter-espionage work, including to set up channels for people to report suspicious activities, plus rewards for so-called whistleblowers. A journalist in Guangzhou, China, spoke to Voice of America about the news, saying that the nationwide anti-spy campaign seems to lay suspicion on foreigners as potential spies, fostering hostility. That's amid escalating tensions between the U.S. and China. She pointed out that a comparable campaign occurred during the Cultural Revolution that took place from 1966 to 1976 in China, a period of political and social chaos in the country. At the time, family members and neighbors were encouraged to report on each other for beliefs or actions that went against state mandates, creating tension and fear and enhancing the Communist Party's control over society.
Back to the modern counter-espionage campaign, Beijing officials suggested the Chinese system must make anti-spying work, quote, normal for the public to do. The notice follows Beijing's enforcement of a new anti-spying law, largely expanding the definition of espionage. The State Department issued an updated advisory last month, warning U.S. citizens to reconsider travel to mainland China. That's due to the risk of wrongful detention. The State Department said Secretary of State Antony Blinken raised the issue during his recent meetings with Chinese officials. Are Taiwanese military officers spying for China? One serving lieutenant colonel, as well as four more retired military officers, detained or investigated on suspicion of leaking military secrets to China. But there is more. According to earlier court records, at least 21 officers with the rank of captain or above have been convicted of spying for Beijing. The island's defense ministry now saying it's gathered concrete evidence of the issue, calling for strict legal punishments for the crimes. Taipei also vowed to boost its defense system to counter foreign espionage activities, especially from China. According to a Reuters investigation, Beijing has ramped up its espionage campaign in Taiwan in recent years as it pushes the island to accept Chinese sovereignty. The Chinese Communist Party claims the island as its own, though it has never ruled Taiwan. Will the globe fully transition to sustainable energy? Getting there isn't easy, just asked MP Materials and Linus, the two largest rare mining companies outside of China. Both are struggling to turn rock from their mines into the building blocks for magnets, critical to the global economy. Here's more. Rare earths could be the key to a transition to green energy. The rock from these mines are turned into building blocks for magnets. They were used in everything from iPhones to Teslas, and Beijing has a dominating hand over them. Last month, China imposed export controls on gallium and germanium, stoking fears that it could block exports of rare earths next. So what would happen then? Experts say China has a stranglehold on the key group of 17 metals needed for a clean energy transition. What's more, it controls almost 90% of global rare earths refining capacity, according to the International Energy Agency. The world's two biggest rare earths companies outside of China are having a hard time competing. Australia's Linus had plans to build a U.S. refinery with a Texas-based partner, but that collapsed, according to sources. U.S.-based MP had a goal of refining its own rare earth metals in 2020, but then COVID-19 hit. If projects continue to struggle, several economies could fail to meet their goal of cutting carbon emissions to net zero 2050 without Beijing's involvement. Analysts say crucial innovation is needed to break down China's dominance in the sector without sacrificing environmental quality. Tesla in May announced plans to make EV magnets without rare earths, citing environmental and health risks in the current process. Several other companies are working on new ways to process rare earths, but cleaner solutions are still years from production. 
Car makers relying on Chinese lithium for batteries, now with good reason to celebrate. The UK has given the green light for one of Europe's first large-scale lithium refineries. Soon, it's expected to start producing the vital material, essential for powering electric cars. Here's the story. Lithium, an essential component of electric car batteries, could soon be refined in the UK. The project, run by Green Lithium, claims to have the potential to power the electric revolution and reduce the dependence UK and European car makers have on China and East Asia, where 89% of the world's lithium is currently refined. Onshoring that refining to the UK means that we've got a huge opportunity to decarbonise the process. Sean Sargent is the CEO of Green Lithium and outlines some of the firm's big ambitions. We're optimistic that when we start operating, it will be at a quarter of the uh, carbon dioxide production of a benchmark refinery that's producing the same material in China today. So how will that sustainability be achieved? Green Lithium says it plans to use low energy processes, renewable electricity, hydrogen gas and carbon capture technology. It claims by doing so, its plant will have an 80% lower carbon footprint than traditional refineries. Global demand for lithium batteries is expected to surge more than fivefold by 2030, according to public-private alliance Leebridge, as more people opt for electric vehicles and energy storage systems. Green Lithium wants to be ready to meet that demand with plans to have its plant operational by 2027 and an annual production capacity of 50,000 tonnes of battery-grade lithium chemicals. That's enough lithium to provide batteries for one million EV car batteries. More news about frontline flooding in China. Excess runoff released from the city of Beijing now submerging large swaths of a city downstream. In the city of Zhuozhou, waters have reached as high as almost 40 feet, leaving much of the area hidden under dirty water. Hundreds of thousands of residents are trapped in the city, facing shortages of food and drinkable water, with ground transportation at a halt. On top of that, blackouts and poor cellular service has made it difficult to contact the outside world. The disaster has reached day four. Looking at infrastructure, ruined bridges and streets have hampered rescue efforts. Aid as well as search and rescue teams are in high demand. But some local authorities have mandated that volunteers get special permission, a letter of invitation to enter the region. Experts also warn about the risk of building collapses, with numerous residential apartments partially waterlogged and sinking. But there might be more behind the floods than heavy rain. Officials in Beijing have a history of opting to save Beijing and other economic districts from disaster at any cost. Reports reveal that under official instruction, armed police force officers were seen opening dam gates near Beijing to release excess floodwaters, sending the runoff rushing towards the smaller cities around the capital. Despite that, the incident is said to mark a record for one of Beijing's most famous landmarks. Located in the center of Beijing, the Forbidden City reportedly flooding for the first time in 600 years. Now the heavy rainfall over China is moving toward the northeast. Another big story to look out for, a unique feature offered up by a Chinese surveillance camera maker, 
Keywords like black, white and yellow used to tag and track people as they appear in recorded footage. What does the technology mean for privacy concerns and human rights risks? That report and more coming up tomorrow on China in Focus. That's all for today's China in Focus on YouTube. We're now sharing a shortened version of our program here after being demonetized for two years. Here's what to look out for in our second half. Feng Shuozhou helped organize a pro-democracy protest in Tiananmen Square on June 4, 1989. That's the day China's People's Liberation Army took aim at unarmed students with rifles and machine guns as they asked for democracy and better access to education. But what happened and what led up to the brutal clampdown? We speak to Feng Shuozhou, former 1989 student leader and Chinese human rights activist for details. The full episode is available on our partner platform, Epoch TV. To sign up, click the link down below. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you tomorrow. But coming up today, Feng Shuozhou helped organize a pro-democracy protest in Tiananmen Square on June 4, 1989. That's the day China's People's Liberation Army took aim at unarmed students with rifles and machine guns as they asked for democracy and better access to education. But what happened and what led up to the brutal clampdown? We speak to Feng Shuozhou, former 1989 student leader and Chinese human rights activist for details. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Over 30 years ago, more than a million Chinese students protested in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, calling for greater freedom and education. The event soon turned into weeks of clampdowns when the People's Liberation Army unleashed weapons of war on thrones of unarmed civilians. What exactly happened that day in Tiananmen Square? And how have the ripple effects played out three decades later? We speak to Feng Shuozhou, former 1989 student leader and Chinese human rights activist, about his vision for China's future. Well, Feng Shuo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. In China, it's called the People's Liberation Army, right? It sounds like it's for the people. But during Tiananmen, the tanks were turned against the students who were trying to stand up for democracy. And you were there. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, exactly. You know, this was the moment uh, that uh, uh, the so-called uh, uh, PLA revealed its true color. It serves uh, only the families, uh, the ruling families of CCP uh, regime. You know, Deng Xiaoping. It doesn't uh, follow people's will. You know, it was used against people's will. Uh, millions of people uh, demonstrated for a free and democratic China. And uh, uh, the troops uh, you know, with uh, tanks and machine guns uh, were deployed to kill people. And they did kill you know, thousands of people while the world was watching. And uh, the worst part of it, uh, they did this uh, without any uh, consequence. And the United States uh, choose to embrace such a regime, uh, allowing it to thrive uh, today. You know, uh, that's why uh, 
it's becoming uh, such an existential threat uh, uh, to the uh, United States and the democratic countries now. On that note, what is the fundamental goal of the Chinese regime? Because it seems in the U.S. there's kind of this misunderstanding maybe. It's like we do all these different word games. We're like, oh, we don't want to decouple. We want to de-risk. We want to trade. You know, you're seeing that. But what is the fundamental nature of the Chinese Communist Party? Chinese Communist Party never had its global ambition. You know, it wants to be the master of the earth, uh, yeah, the engineers of human souls. You know, that's what uh, they have been doing in Beijing, in Tibet, in uh, Xinjiang, and now in Hong Kong. You know, we, we should know that. Uh, and uh, if we are not uh, acting fast enough, it will happen to Taiwan, and next it will be here. Yeah. China without democracy can only be a threat to the world. The worst part is, is that uh, for now, you know, United States even depends on CCP China from everything, basically, uh, even military supplies. Uh, you know, how can we sustain such a war uh, if it happens? Uh, yeah, uh, I think we are definitely not ready, and most people just don't realize the severity of the situation. And what is the fundamental difference between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people? Because it seems often in the U.S. when new legislation mm -hmm. comes out trying to challenge the Chinese Communist Party, it comes out and says, oh, that's racist to the Chinese people. But what is that relationship? Uh, I think, uh, you know, United States has been bland uh, to the fact that, uh, you know, China uh, without democratization uh, yeah, uh, cannot be a partner. Uh, without democratization, yeah, it's, we are only dealing with the the ruling uh, party, right? The will of Chinese people, for example, on Tiananmen Square, uh, were calling for freedom and democracy, and it was repressed with brutal force. People want to access uh, new information, and uh, uh, we have to find ways yeah, to 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 enable. Uh, Chinese people to express their will. And uh, uh, that's where I think the uh, United States has done nothing uh, to really help uh, in, in a material way. Uh, we should definitely change that. And it sounds like, in a way, a lot of people in China, even under this regime, do want the free information. Maybe they do want democracy. They want something different. What would that benefit the world? Because it sounds like right now a lot of people look at China and they think of all the Chinese people as the same as the party. How would the Chinese people help the world? No, if uh, I mean looking back, I think uh, uh, 34 years ago on Tiananmen Square, yeah, uh, that provide uh, a glimpse of what a different China could be. Yeah, Chinese people were hopeful. Uh, in solidarity, uh, because uh, they love freedom and democracy. Yeah, that's that's why, uh, in the end, there was a statue of democracy erected on Tiananmen Square before the massacre. Yeah. And uh, with that, uh, the protesters uh, were supported by people all over the world, uh, Chinese people and the international community. Uh, so. 
if China is democratized, it can definitely be a partner of United States and the democratic countries on the world stage. Otherwise, uh, it's definitely a challenge, uh, just like Nazi Germany. And with all the different topics covered, any final thoughts you'd like to share? China took on a wrong path 34 years ago. Unfortunately, the uh, United States uh, has embraced such a regime. It's the time to confront and challenge uh, CCP. Right? China's democratization is the only way to ensure that China can be a partner of peace and prosperity. And the United States must act uh, decisively uh, to help China's democratization. And uh, uh, in, uh, at the same time, we must defend, uh, defend Taiwan's democracy. Feng Shuo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.